Dear Founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. Today's episode is a unique and special one, and I'm really excited for you to meet Jill Smokler, founder of Scary Mommy and host of the new podcast, She's Got Issues with Jill Smokler. But before I introduce you, we talk a lot about community in today's episode and how important community has been to both me and Jill and our success as entrepreneurs. So on that note, I want to remind you about the Dear Founder Facebook community. It's a place for you to connect, offer advice, and ask for support from other founders and entrepreneurs. I also go live there often to answer your questions. Please make sure to click the link in the show notes and request to join. It's free, and I'd love to see you there. As I mentioned, I'm really humbled to share today's episode with you. It's one of the most honest conversations I've had here on the podcast about someone else's entrepreneurial journey, but also about mine too. You'll see when we get into the conversation that Jill Smokler and I have a really similar story. What started as an innocent online baby book in early 2008 to chronicle Jill Smokler's stay-at-home days with her children quickly transformed into a vibrant community of parents brought together by a common theme. Parenting doesn't have to be perfect. In 2015, Scary Mommy, Jill's brand, was acquired by Some Spider. Jill departed the company in 2018. Jill is also the New York Times bestselling author of Simon & Schuster's Confessions of a Scary Mommy and Motherhood Comes Naturally and Other Vicious Lies. Her honest tank up parenting has appeared in countless publications and on television programs including The Today Show, Good Morning America, Nightline, Bethany, and Fox & Friends. There was so much of this conversation that I could have said myself. There aren't many people in the world who know what you've gone through professionally and can understand you and your motivations and your decisions to a T. I felt really connected to Jill Smokler even before this conversation. We both started parenting companies. We grew them and we sold them. The company who bought Scary Mommy actually approached me a few years after they bought Jill's brand. After hearing her story and talking about the ups and downs of founding a business where you're the face and the persona behind the brand and the brand is your identity and then selling the company to a bigger company who makes changes that you don't always agree with, I truly feel like I've known Jill for eons. There was something very familiar and comfortable with this conversation and I'm sure you'll agree when you hear it for yourself. I am so grateful to Jill for taking the time to talk with me and for sharing this raw and very honest conversation, not only with me, but with all of you. Jill has helped so many millions of moms, and in her new chapter, she will surely continue to do so with her new podcast, 
She's got issues with Jill Smokler. So come on in and meet Jill Smokler. All right. So today on Dear Founder, we have Jill Smokler, the founder of Scary Mommy, which many of you know, and I'm sure read and have read and still read. And before I bring her on, I want to say that Jill is someone that I have watched from afar for a very long time. She built her website from a blog and eventually grew it into a space that was viewed by millions and millions of moms. And she did this simply by sharing her stories. And Jill sold her company to a company that actually pursued me when I was selling mine and afterwards exited. There are so many things that Jill did that I also did. She just did them first. And it is an honor, 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 not only to meet you, but to have you here today, Jill Smokler. I have been so excited about this conversation since you said yes. And I actually couldn't believe that you did. So thank you for being here. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me, Lindsay. I'm excited. I don't have these conversations with many people. So I'm excited to talk to somebody who's been there, done that because it's a roller coaster ride. And I know that you have so much insight to share, not only to me, but to obviously our audience. So, no, I want to start this off by dialing it back. And I want you to share your story. How did you start Scary Mommy? Where did you take it? And how did you end up to where you are now? Okay. Well, I started Scary Mommy um, really on a whim when my kids were zero. Well, my, my youngest was an infant, um, and then two and four. So I was just kind of drowning in children around me constantly. Um, and I was looking for some sort of outlet, some sort of project. I'm the kind of person that always has a little project going on at the same time. And I just wanted something for fun to keep my brain alive. Um, and so I started blogging and just writing, posting pictures about the kids and writing little stories and, Back in those days, we used to send like Shutterfly albums to our family and friends instead of, you know, before blogs, you had to send out like an entire album of like 36, you know, bathtub pictures of your child. And (laughs) if people didn't want to see it, you know, you didn't want to be that annoying person to send it. So I thought with a blog, at least people can sort of opt in or out. Um, And then it started growing past my network of friends and family. And I remember getting the first comment from somebody just, it was along the lines of, you know, oh my gosh, me too, with some parenting experience. And I thought like, who is this person and why is she caring about my children? This is so weird. And I clicked on her name and was brought to another, you know, I was brought to her blog and then I saw her blog roll and I got like lost in this whole world of mommy blogs. Um, And once I discovered that there was this like network of moms who were my, who were like me and I hadn't found them in my real life. And I found the moms, like the tribe I was looking for in my real life. I found them online and it became everything when my kids were little. I, um, it became, it was, my house was so chaotic and so loud and scary. Mommy was the place I would go to just like retreat and to get things off of my chest. And it was a real refuge and that it really just grew pretty organically, um, really from word of mouth and from me commenting on other people's blogs and just being immersed in this community. It just gradually got a larger and larger following. Um, and then the turning point was I had written some 
column on just the craziness of raising kids for CNN.com. And that prompted um, a literary agent to reach out to me and suggest writing a book. And then that really propelled the brand to the next level. But um, yeah, it really has just always been about talking about my life in an authentic way that people somehow seem to connect to. So you start to grow, you write three books, right? Two books and then Two. sort of co-author, like, yeah, edited or whatever, a third. But yes, there are three books three out three there. Book covers, yes. Okay. <laughs> and Scary Mommy is reaching millions of people. What's going on? What's going through your head? How are you managing this? And, and, and also, did you expect this? I can't say I expected it to the level that it grew to, but I did, once I saw that it could possibly become something beyond a mommy blog, I really made it my mission to make that happen. So it wasn't from the the get-go, but pretty early along, I thought, you know, maybe I can not go back to work and actually make some money doing this. That was always my intention was, can I somehow parlay this hobby into work. So I do not need to go back to an office and work for somebody else. That's like my greatest fear in life. It hangs over me always. Um, so it's the highs of scary mommy, like the books and the talk shows and all of, all of that stuff was so fun. And it was, it was so exciting and thrilling, but then the in-betweens were not so much fun. And it's not, you know, when you're, used to talking on talk shows and radio shows and, you know, just talk, talk, talking about all of your stuff. And then you turn around and nobody wants to talk to you because you're not relevant anymore. It's depressing and it's sad and you, you want it back. So it's just sort of always a, it always felt like a, a big roller coaster um, of really high highs and then pretty, you know, lulls. Um, but the highs were fantastic. When did you realize you could start making money from this and outside of the books, how did you start making money from Scary Mommy? Um, well, at first you didn't really make money. At first you made, you got free stuff, which yep. was really fun. And still like some of my favorite things around the house are things that I blogged about in the early days, like these prints on wood. And I have this like picture of my son's teddy bear that somebody drew that, you know, I wrote a review for them and like the old school mm-hmm. blogging type of deals. Um, I always so, say that I never had to pay for a single thing for my children, which I didn't, oh, which was oh the, the biggest perk of owning a business that was for moms. <laughs> it was the best, the conferences, my kids have the best memories of me coming back with suitcases of toys and swag and everything. Um, yeah, that stuff was so fun. Right. Why do we need money if we have free shampoo and conditioners? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I started making money um, probably four or five years in. It started really making money. It didn't, it was in terms of like monetizing like crazy, which it did towards the end. It wasn't until like 2013 that I feel like Facebook kind of shifted and things ramped up to a different level. But before that, I'd had different um, really brand partnerships. I partnered with Target for this like fashion makeover experience, which was my first big campaign, which was super fun. Um, and yeah, it was really campaigns. And then once the site had enough um, enough page views, then we could put advertising on it. And that was just self-generating. So you said, I'm going to read a quote of something that I, that I read that 
you had said, you said the site had grown out of control, had millions of followers, a full staff and pressures beyond my ability. And there was nothing, there really and truly has been nothing said by anyone that I could relate to more than that sentence. Mm. Because when I read that, my heart felt into my, fell into my stomach because I've been there and I know what that feels like and what it felt like. And when you were feeling this, was that the catalyst for you to say, okay, I, I need some help. I want to sell this. How, and how, how did you decide, like, did someone approach you or did you put it up for sale? How did you kind of take it to that next level from you making money and reaching millions of people and doing brand partnerships? How did you kind of make it more official and sell it? I, it, it sort of happened accidentally. I was at a big breaking point. My marriage was really not in a good place. My health wasn't in a good place. I really, Scary Mommy was just taking, I'd say like 20 out of 24 hours a day. I was just dedicating to the brand and to keeping it alive. And I was doing like trying to do coding myself. So I would just like mess up, a, you know, a, a period or something in HTML and the site would go off line for like two days at a time and I would know how to fix it. And it just, I needed like a tech person. I needed a marketing person. I needed different people. And I knew it for the first time. And I was willing to divvy up some of the responsibility for the first time. And during that time, um, the company that I sold it to, Some Spider, approached me and it was actually for an interview. Um, and during the interview, I made an offhanded comment about just feeling like I was drowning and needing it out. And they very quickly bit and were like, oh, well, we happen to be in the market for a parenting website. <laughs> you know, are you are you really serious? Um, and I was at that point. Um, and things happened very, very quickly. I think in retrospect, which I've spent a lot of time thinking about, um, I should have explored bringing other people in. I think I was so territorial over the brand because it was my baby. It seemed, it seemed easier almost to detach myself entirely from it and hand it off than it did to bring people on and share it if that makes any sense. Um, so do you think you should have hired people ahead of ahead of the sale and done it that way versus selling it and letting them handle it? I think I should have done a whole lot more talking to people than I did. I think for much of Scary Mommy, I really thought I knew everything about it and about its needs and its development and how to take it to the next level. And I didn't. And that's when I should have talked to other founders and entrepreneurs and people who've been there before, because we all learn these lessons. And that's why we're having this conversation, right? right? Exactly. This is a conversation I wish I'd heard, you know, five years ago. Um, but I think it's always, I, I don't think this is ever, as I'm sure you will get into an easy, an easy transition and an easy thing to go through. No, it's not. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I, I also, you know, have my own, you know, hindsight and I spoke to some spider as well when they approached me, as well as the entity that bought me as well as a third entity. And even to this day, I still say to myself, I think I should have had more conversations. Um, I don't regret selling. And I know you and I talked about this. You asked me this before we, before we got officially started here, but to your point, I think, and why I want to say this and say it very clearly to people listening, have those conversations. I 
you know, I, I wish that I had had more, I might've still gone with the entity that I went with, but I do wish that I had talked more to more people before closing on the deal. And I, like you was very much, I, I at my breaking point and I just wanted to sell it. I, 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 I mean, I sold it to someone who wanted me. And so that was a big plus for me because I wanted to still work for the brand, but I just wanted to sell it. And so maybe I did rush into it a little bit. And so I want to say that and share that because I want people listening to know that you don't have to rush. It's not a race. No, when somebody wants to buy you, you're the one who's in demand. And I think I was so elated that somebody saw such a value in something I built that I was just like, I don't want, you know, I don't want them to sort of find out that like I'm an imposter somehow. Like, this is really cool. I just, oh my God. Yes. Get it done. Yes. Um, I, yeah. I felt the same way. Yes. And I was like, are they going to real, are they going to find me out? You know, right. that like due right. diligence period. You're like, oh my God, like what have I ever done in my life? They're going to find out <laughs> the due diligence period where they literally are sifting through every single oh, thing that God. you've ever done. It's insane. I know. I thought that was bad until my divorce. <laughs> That's a whole nother conversation. But um, yeah, talking to other people is, is that's what I regret. I don't necessarily regret selling it. I think there were so many reasons for it and so many um, things that stemmed out of it, but I do regret not taking the time to really research and um, listen to more people and seek out advice and help. What else would you tell someone? You said you that's probably your biggest regret, but what else would you tell someone who's selling their business that they should do while they're going through this process? I would say that you are the absolute person who knows the most in the world about your brand and you are the ultimate expert, but you know nothing about how to sell it and how that process works. Like one does not equal the other. And I think to, I wish I had sort of put my pride aside and been a little more humble and just realized that I, I can't do it all. I mean, I can't, I couldn't do it all on the site. Why did I think I could do it all with the sale? Obviously. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it really all does come back to to asking for help, to listening to help, to to listening to when people offer instead of just sort of brushing them off and you know, trying to get to the next subject. Um and just admitting to yourself that you don't have all of the answers. On that note, let's go back to something else you just said prior to this point. You talked about um doing everything. And how you were doing everything and you were coding your site and it was crashing. And how do you recognize when it's time to pass off certain tasks to someone else? Because as founders, as entrepreneurs, you wear so many hats, you are doing everything. And often you're doing it as a result of lack of resources. But when, when is it time to kind of put that in the balance and say, okay, I I can't code. Like who, who can I find to help code for me? Or when can I help, who can I help do my books? (laughs) I think when you can afford to pay other people, anything is when you should be getting help. Um, I was very fortunate with Scary Mommy very early, probably two and a half years into the blog. I put on these message boards and they really took off immediately to the point where they needed moderation and I couldn't sit around all day moderating women on a message board, which is. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Oh my goodness. Um, and so all I just you have to do is look at the Facebook groups, right? <laughs> no. 
And this is before people had Facebook events on. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those, those are interesting. Um, but I put a call out and I said to the community, you know, I can't, if you guys want these message boards, I can't do them myself. So if anyone wants to step up and help me, like this is me asking before I shut them down. And I had like dozens of people be like, oh, I'm more than happy to. And I had a bunch of volunteers at the beginning and sort of dwindled down to these, to this core group of six people um, who up until months ago still worked for the company. They all outlasted me. Um, And they were people who helped with like the message boards and the community and some of the social media, um, not really the behind the scenes stuff of the site, more just the, 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 forward-facing things. Um, So those were my first hire. And just as the site, you know, I used to pay them with swag and I used to pay them with, you know, whatever I could afford to. And then when it started making money, I paid them real money and some spider, you know, paid them a salary. Um, But in terms of like having having a coder, having a designer, having a salesperson, I mean, those are things I should have done years before I did. Let's talk about that though, with you putting out a message to your community, because it goes back to something I say a lot. That is your community is so important to your brand. And I also, I mean, when you're saying this, I'm like, oh my God, this is what I did. Like I had women coming to bump club events and I am one person. I could not be at a million events a week. I couldn't even, I couldn't be at two in one night. And we use, I, I had a group of 13, 14 moms who came to events that I paid in swag and free events Mm -hmm. at first. And then eventually we started paying them hourly who helped me execute events. And very similar to what you just said, I sent an email and I said, Hey, I'm looking for some help. And these were people who subscribed to what I was doing. These are people who subscribed to what you were doing. They believed in you and they wanted to help carry your mission. Right. And they believed in you because you were honest, you were authentic, you showed up every day as yourself, and they wanted to be a part of that. And I I think that so many founders don't look to their community for that help first. Oh, 100%. There was very little... Um respect for, I'd say, the the core of the community when I sold it. It was really about the page views and the followers and not really the people behind it. And that's what grew the site. And that's the power of it. And that's what I tried to really hold on to. And what makes me most sad about where the site is now is I feel like that's what it really has lost, um, is the, the individuals who make up the community and like the real people behind it. Now it's sort of just a facade. Um, yeah. But, and, and, but I say that in encouraging the people who are listening to look to your community when you need something. Yes. That was never... a much more positive angle. Yes. I, I just, I kind of like, yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you said what you said because I can sympathize with what you said because the minute that it's a corporate behemoth that is running your baby they don't care about the things that you care about and the things that you cared about are what drove the ship and made the money and why they wanted to buy it, why they wanted to buy it. Right. You know, but I I say that what the reason that I brought this up obviously is because I think so often we're afraid to ask for help, especially as women. And you don't necessarily know who's out there and who can help you 
until you ask. And so if you have this community, even if it's a small community, just ask because you don't, you don't know. And those first women that helped you with your message boards and later became some spider employees, they had your back. Right. It's true. And I have, it's something I have to remind myself of to this day. And even, even in starting out what I hope to be my next venture, I am very, um, gun shy about posting on social media. It's been so long and I'm just not comfortable anymore putting myself out there, but I am comfortable posting in like small little Facebook groups with a handful of people who I've known forever, who I can say, you know, what do you think of this idea and bounce it back and forth who are the long term, you know, long time people of mine. Um, And yeah, I mean, those are, yeah, turning to your community and people who've, who, who have followed you along and cheered you along the whole time. And I just, I want to make a note on something you just said. You said smaller Facebook groups. And I will tell you, I'm going to give you unsolicited advice right now and tell Mm -hmm. you that with your new podcast, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, set up a Facebook group. I have a Facebook group for Dear Founder and I share and I ask, and it's only a few hundred people right now. Hopefully by the time this airs, it will be much more, but that's my community. And because Facebook and Instagram are so different than when you and I started our companies, those Facebook groups are really what the community of our brands are now. And, you know, for anyone who's starting a company or a brand, I would say start a Facebook group because that's where you're going to get your most engaged users, your most engaged subscribers, you're going to be able to tap into your community and ask them for advice and opinions, and they're going to help your brand just how you were able to ask these women 10 years ago before Facebook was even what it is now to help you. So absolutely. Yeah. And for good or bad, that's where people are. I wish that they would just all migrate from Facebook onto, you know, <laughs> nice little place that I could host myself away far away <laughs> from Mark Zuckerberg. Um, but yes, Facebook groups, I think it's, it feels like a very safe space when the rest of the internet just doesn't. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast as I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast. Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about when you realized it was time to leave. And I know that that is, um, I know it's a, it's a tough topic. I know it, I know that this is because you left your baby. 
So when I sold Scary Mommy, I agreed to stay on for two years as chief content officer, um, which when I was negotiating originally, I thought that that seemed like a very short amount of time. And I thought I wanted to be there. Like I couldn't imagine walking away after two years, but um, it was right about when the two year period hit that I was like, yeah, I think um, I'm kind of done fighting because it it seemed like my entire role there had gone from um, being on a pedestal and them having like the utmost respect for what I'd done and realizing that I was the one who'd done it. So I deserve to be listened to to just me nagging them and complaining all the time that the site wasn't working, that the ads were clogging it down, that the, you know, members were complaining, that, you know, the articles were, you know, not, were losing their, you know, uniqueness. Um, And it was just when I got, yeah, I just couldn't deal with the fight anymore. Um, And ultimately, ironically, actually, I was supposed to be doing a podcast with Scary Mommy um, as like the original and talking to the people who grew up along with me. So not millennials, not people, you know, who have babies right now. And in the midst of our planning, they kind of pivoted and wanted to speak to pregnant and new moms. And I'm not pregnant nor a new mom. And I barely remember like either experience. So I was not the person for that. Um, and then there was really no role for me at, at the company. Um, I, I sort of was given the, the choice of coming up with a role I wanted to play, um, or leaving. And I just racked my brain and couldn't think of anything else I wanted to contribute to the company. Um, I was like, I think I've had it. And that was a great feeling. It was impulsive and I felt empowered and I, um, it was a really good feeling. And then I woke up the day after my last day. And I was like, oh my God, what do I do? I have like no friends anymore. I have no coworkers. I have no job. I have no hobby. I have like no identity. Like, What, what did I well, do? Well, Scary Mommy was your identity for so long. It, it was. And I was so mixed up with, you know, there was no where I started and Scary Mommy ended. Like it was all just one big mush. And, and it's still... Even to this day, you know, I, I'm still cursing myself because I have emails that I use scary mommy email address that I no longer have access to. And it's like the one place that I can reset code. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, it was a culmination of just having had enough and just being exhausted. I think, I think the original sale and the walking away were just exhaustion, which is, is something I think I would also recommend people do is get a good night's sleep before making decisions. <laughs> Do you feel like you left on your own terms? I think I, I, I have mixed feelings about it. In some ways I think I did. And in some ways I think they wanted me to leave. I think they had definitely had it with me. I think I could have fought and stayed, but I think I was such a pain in their ass and they were just done. So I, I mean, I was expensive. I was commuting. I was demanding. I was pretty obnoxious. So I don't blame them at all. So you, you just said it's exhausted selling a company and I could not agree more. I mean, it's the mental toll that it takes on you is tremendous and it's not talked about. The only stories that we hear are, you know, the Whitney Hurts and the Sarah Blakely's and that cover of Fortune magazine. Doesn't that kill you? Shiny unicorns, because you know what? 
those are like the perfect success stories. Now, you and I both know that there were definitely bumps in the road for them. They're just not necessarily talking about them. I mean, I would love for you to shed a little bit more light on that part of selling your business because like when I sold Bump Club, you know, a press release went out, same with you and Scary Mommy. And it was, you know, everyone's congratulating you. And it's amazing. And it's amazing to feel that high and that feeling of you built something that someone wanted enough to pay a lot of money for and to sell. But the public doesn't know the other things that go on behind the scenes. I am not at liberty to share a lot at the moment, but you can. And I would, <laughs> I would love for you to, just to shed light on the fact that it's not all perfect. And, and, you know, I, I also think, you know, people, people see these sales and these, and they just have a misconception about what is actually going on. And, um, you know, I think it's a great thing to sell a business, but I also think that people need to understand that if that is your end game, there are a lot of bumps that come along with that. And it is, to your point, exhausting. It is in, and so bumpy and I get so carsick. So it's not a good combination. Yeah, I'd say exhaustion is the main word that I identify with the sale um, both times, the initial sale of the company and then then the walking away from. Um, one of the, the biggest things I heard when I sold the company, and it was really from, it was the only time that, core community group we were talking about of mine ever sort of stood up and weren't happy with me. There was a lot of feelings like I had sold out and I took something that was so special and just traded it for money and opportunity. Um, and that's not wrong. And there's nothing wrong with that because I, you know, I built something and we weren't independently wealthy and it was a lot of money and it was at that point in my life a good option but i think people did sort of feel abandoned by that um and like i had just yeah like i had just somehow cheated them and and kind of left them and that that makes me sad um the the experience of the first of, of when when the company first sold and when i was traveling to new york I worked in New York three days a week for um, a little over two years, which was, again, exhausting, but also so exhilarating. And I would come into the office and I I would like play Miranda Priestly and I'd be like, this is my office and I'm the boss lady and this is so fun. And it just felt like I was playing dress up and, you know, I was like working girl. Um, and that was so that period was so, so fun. That I would put along with the highs of like the book and the talk shows and all the fun stuff. Um, but then my God, the lows, I mean, sitting at a table of all men arguing that you need to use certain words to describe women's anatomy and how having them tell, you no, these were, I mean, things like that. Um, selling a woman owned business to a man is also something I would never do again. And I say that point, I have a lot of um, respect for the person who bought my site. I think he's very smart and savvy and I like him personally. Um, that said, I, 
I only want to work with women for the rest of my life. <laughs> only in, yes, only women. Um, I could have like some subordinate men, I suppose, like a pool boy, but I, <laughs> I don't want to have to ever report up to a man again. Um, and that was a really, that was a challenging thing too. How did you handle that waking up the next day when you felt like you had lost your identity? I did not handle that well. <laughs> I did not handle waking up the next day well at all. Um, actually, no, the first like two weeks, I was like, this is amazing. You don't have to be on the internet all day. Like I could actually not know every single thing that is happening with like Kim Kardashian's love life and like her offspring. It felt amazing. Um, but then, then I felt like I had nothing. I had no structure in my day. I had no, nowhere to be, nothing to do. I, I had allowed myself like six months to, to just take off and not work and figure out what I wanted to do next. Somehow that six months stretched out into four years because I was just dealing with, um, I was just dealing with the same emotions and the same struggle. And I just couldn't let it go. It, it only is within the last like month and a half that I can talk about scary mommy without crying. Like I was so emotionally invested in it. Um, first so for 15 years. And that, that's definitely hard to let go of. So yeah, it was a very, it was a rude awakening. And so now you're here and you are launching your own podcast in February. Yes, it will come out in February. I'm saying it here first, February. I and will it's, make it called, it's called She's Got Issues. It is called She's Got Issues. And I, I, tell us a little bit about the podcast and what you are going to do and what your hope is for it. Well, I just miss talking. Um, I mean, that's, I miss, I, I miss connection. I miss the, the community that we've been talking about the whole time that without, um, without being anchored to it in some way, I just sort of didn't feel, um, privy to like the benefits of it. Um, so I really stepped away from, from the whole community, but the podcast, um, is just going to be all of the issues that I've been dealing with. Um, everything from selling the business to, um, having my husband come out of the closet to mental health struggles, just all of the things that are top of mind for me. Like when I started scary mommy, I was talking about, you know, my picky toddlers and potty training. And now I no longer have to worry about those things, but it's my daughter going to college and all the, all the stuff that we've all, that my people and I have all grown up together. It's what we're all experiencing now. But that is why this is going to be a huge success, Jill, because you're you and you're, you, you have no qualms about sharing what is going on. And you know, you, you said to me earlier, oh my God, like the internet and social media is so different. I like, I, ha I, I don't even know what's going on on it because I haven't been on it in four years, but it doesn't matter about the technicalities of the social media, because what is going to make this successful for you is you. And the fact that you're willing to share and show up authentically, just as you did for scary mommy, but in this new capacity and people want to hear from you people and people want to hear about these topics. People want to hear about your divorce. They want to hear about your kid going to college because your people are going through these things too. Exactly. Right. I hope so. I know. So I know. Well, I'm, so. I'm tracking you down. If not stop having <laughs> imposter syndrome, <laughs> I want to wrap up on one question. Well, two things actually one, 
I want to, before, before I ask my final question, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to make sure you share and get out about your story and make sure that people know? I want to give you that opportunity. I appreciate that. I think, um, I think listen to other people and be wary of men. (laughs) I think that that sums up my feelings on selling my business. (laughs) And then the last question that I want to ask that I actually end all of my podcasts with is I would love for you to share three things that you would tell someone who's starting now and who's launching a business. What would be three bits of advice that you would give to them? really look into your domain and your social media handles. I've many a times thought of great names and great directions. I want to take something to only to look up the Twitter handle and Instagram handle. And it's all being used for like porn or like something that's totally different that you don't want to be associated with. So I'd say like research name and URL and stuff very carefully. Um, Two, I'd say, remember, remember what you love about it. Before Scary Mommy was ever making money, I had a really bad habit of thinking of it as a job, but it wasn't a job at all, but it took as much time as a job. And, and I put as much effort in as a job, but it always was fun. And I would tell myself if it wasn't fun that I had to walk away because it wasn't, I wasn't getting paid to do this. I wasn't saving the world. I wasn't, you know, it just, it, I had to still enjoy it. Um, and always respond to people. People don't do that enough. Um, it's hard. I feel like I've, I definitely over the past four years have let people, let messages slip by and it kills me to think about, but I really try to um, just respond and, you know, give people time if that's what they're asking for, because I certainly have nothing but time these days. You said that you weren't saving the world, but I have to beg to differ. I think that you saved a lot of moms and I think that you, your impact on the world has been felt millions of times over. So please don't say that or think that. You have made a true impact, I know, on mothers and moms in my generation, and your brand is still carrying that legacy. And so I don't want you to think that that what you were doing goes without notice because some behemoth company took it on and bought it. Well, what you, you created a movement and you really set the stage for a lot of other mom bloggers and mom companies, mine included. I looked to you without you even knowing I was looking to you, I looked to you for so many years. And so thank you for doing that. And thank you for sharing your honest thoughts and your honest feelings about what it was like to sell this business and to leave because a lot of them, I think, go a long way with a lot of people who are listening, at least with me. So thank you so much for your time and for being here. I so appreciate Um, you just in general, not even just you. I appreciate you. And I want you to know that. Well, thank you so much. I've loved talking to you and I've so, I so appreciate your kind words and it's been a pleasure. And I'm excited to listen to your podcast because I think, I think there's so much to learn from each other. And I still, you know, I have so much to learn going into this next world. So I'm excited to follow along your journey. Thank you. I'm so happy that Jill followed her own advice and answered my email. Aren't you? I want to thank Karen Elpert from Baby Sideburns for encouraging me to reach out to Jill because I am so glad that we did. I'm so glad to have connected with her and I'm so glad to have had this conversation and to have been able to share this conversation with you. 
I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. It's time to get out a pen and paper because there were so many takeaways from Jill. So here we go. Number one, once you see that your business can become something, make it your mission to take it there. Fulfill your intention. If it's a hobby or a side hustle and you're finding success, do what you can do to take it to where you want it to go. Number two, explore your options and talk to people before you make a big decision, like an acquisition. Number three, you think that you know everything about your brand and how to take it to the next level, but you honestly don't. Talk to other entrepreneurs and other founders and people who have been there before. Number four, when someone wants to buy you, you are the one in demand. Number five, you are the absolute person who knows the most about your brand, but you know nothing about how to sell it and how that process works. One does not equal the other. Put your pride aside and be humble that you can't do it all. Number six, ask for help. Listen and take people up when they offer to help you. Admit to yourself that you don't have all the answers. Number seven, tap into your community. Ask them for help. They are the people who subscribe to what you're doing and they want to help you move forward. If you need help, ask them. You never know who's there and what they can do to help you. Number eight, look into your social media handles and your domain before you start a business. Research your URL carefully. Number nine, Remember what you love about what you're doing. If it's not fun, you have to walk away. You have to enjoy it. Number 10, always respond to people. It's hard, but you never know what or who is on the other side of that email. Make sure you check out Jill's new podcast, She's Got Issues with Jill Smokler. You can hear more about her own story in the very first episode. I cannot thank you enough for being here and for joining us today for another episode of Dear Founder. Make sure you follow at Lindsay Pinchuk and at Dear Founder on Instagram. You can also go to lindsaypinchuk.com slash freebie to download some of my tips, tools, and resources for starting a business and for managing the social media beast. We have some amazing guests coming up. So please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us wherever it is that you listen. If you know someone who wants to start their own business, like me, like Jill, or who started a business or has an amazing idea for a business, text them this episode or post it on your Instagram. Tag me. I'll make sure to reshare some of those to say thank you. I'll be back next week with another episode of Dear Found Her. Until then.